If I say the word tranquil, what comes to your mind? Maybe a scene with still water while you're sitting on the shore and you look across and there is gentle swaying of the trees. The setting sun and the rising moon cast their different lights on the shimmering water. Or if you're the melancholic kind, maybe your idea of tranquility is sitting by a fireplace while it's snowing outside with a novel in your hand and a cup of hot chocolate in your other hand. If you're a parent, maybe it is just wait for the kids to go to sleep and then come down, have a cup of coffee, and the golden sound of silence. Maybe if you're a college student, there is no tranquility because you know, you're always stressed out. This morning, we're going to look at the inner peace that God gives us in a sermon entitled, Tranquility's Trust. And I've got two texts for us this morning. Luke chapter 1 and verse 79 reads, To guide our feet into the way of peace. And our key text for this morning, Isaiah 26 and verse 3. If you have your Bibles, you can turn to it and you can keep it there because we will be coming back to this verse multiple times. Isaiah 26 and verse 3. You keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on you because he trusts in you. You keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on you because he trusts in you. The first question is what is peace? What is peace? Webster's Dictionary says it is a state of tranquility or quiet and harmony between people, freedom from disturbance. And the usual definition includes the absence of disturbance, not just the presence of something. So then my next question is what causes a disturbance in peace? What is it that causes a disturbance in peace? Here's my definition for it. A change or a potential change in a desirable, calm state of existence. I say a change in a desirable, calm state. If we have established what that desirable, calm state is, any change in that desirable, calm state causes a disturbance or a potential for a disturbance. So for example, if you have a roof that's 30 years old and any passing storm could blow it away, then anytime there's a storm, there is a potential for a disturbance in what is a calm state of existence. This morning, we're going to look at the idea of personal inner peace. I've divided the sermon into four parts. In the first part, we will look at the progression of peace. In the second part, we will look at the perfection of peace. In the third part, we will look at the personality of peace. And fourthly, we will look at the pathway to peace. So first, let's turn to the progression of peace. God wants to give us peace. John chapter 14 and verse 27, it reads, Jesus says, Peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you, not as the world gives do I give to you. Do not let your heart be troubled, nor let it be fearful. In the original plan, when God created us, he wanted us to have a peaceful life. If you read the first two chapters of the book of Genesis, it is a tranquil existence. And then you come to the third chapter, and then you find that it descends into chaos. There are three kinds of peace mentioned in the New Testament. I've made up these terms, so you may not find these same terms elsewhere but obviously the concepts are the same. The first kind of peace is what I call a spiritual peace. 
where we establish a relationship with God and establish peace with God. The second is a personal peace, which is an experiential peace that comes out of a personal relationship with God. So you first have spiritual peace, then as a result of that you have personal peace. And thirdly, you have societal peace, that is peace in society, but it is third. The sequence is spiritual peace first, as a result of that personal peace, as a result of that societal peace. In the Garden of Eden, we see these three kinds of peace and the disturbance of it in chapter 3 following. So after Adam and Eve sinned for the very first time, you find in Genesis chapter 3 verse 8, they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day, and the man and his wife hid themselves in the presence of the Lord. They hid themselves. There's a breakdown of communion between man and God. That's a disturbance in spiritual peace. The very next verse says, Then the Lord God called to man and said to him, Where are you? He said, I heard the sound of you in the garden, and I was afraid. And that afraid shows that there was a breakdown in personal peace. There was a breakdown in spiritual peace, which led to a breakdown in personal peace. In the next chapter you read, chapter 4, verse 8, Cain rose up against Abel, his brother, and killed him. You see a breakdown in societal peace. Since then, since that event, we have always lived under the shadow of the disturbance of peace, even though there are certain areas, certain periods in our history where there is relative peace. Because we don't know peace and because there is no peace, we make an attempt at establishing peace. But that peace is not a perfect peace, which we we come to the second part of this sermon, the perfection of peace. Let's read that verse again, Isaiah chapter 26 and verse 3, you keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on you. When you say perfect peace, you assume that there is an imperfect peace. If the peace that an infinite God gives us is perfect peace, peace from any other source is imperfect peace. Why is human peace imperfect? Why is it that human peace is imperfect? I've got two reasons. Firstly, we don't know the state of peace. We don't know what peace is. We have never experienced true peace. The only two people who have ever experienced true peace died years ago, Adam and Eve. They died years ago. Since then, none of us have experienced true peace, so we don't know what it is. Has anybody been to... Outer space, anybody? Outer space, no. I was going to say, has anybody been to Mars? But then I realized that Matt Damon has been to Mars. But so none of us have been to outer space. Can you describe maybe two, three words of what outer space would be like? Empty? Quiet. I heard a still. Quiet, still, empty. We have never been to outer space. We have movies about outer space which are out of the imaginations of humans. But still we are able to find some descriptions of what outer space is like. That's similar to how our description of peace is like. We have never really experienced true peace. 
but we have certain ideas of what peace may be like. We make up our concept of peace because we have never experienced it. So in today's culture, the concept of peace is so ill-defined. The concept of peace today is you don't offend anybody. So if there's somebody with a different opinion, somebody with a different religion, somebody with a different culture, somebody with a different inclination, you don't say anything to them that offends them, and that way you can keep the peace. You see how crazy it sounds where you can't say anything but talk about how beautiful the weather is. I mean, that's the most neutral thing that you can talk about. That is our idea of peace because we don't know what peace is. And we have made up the idea of peace. The second reason why human peace is imperfect is because the order of peace is skewed. I said earlier that the order of peace has to be spiritual peace first, personal peace next, societal peace after that. But the order of peace in which we live today has been skewed. And so today it's all about maintaining peace in society. It doesn't matter what you think about other cultures, other races, other languages, other inclinations, as long as you don't say it out loud and break societal peace. The order of peace is skewed. Is there peace in this world? No. Has the advancement of wealth and knowledge and progress and science caused more peace? Has more guidelines and protocols and laws resulted in more peace? No. Look at the state of existence in this world. North Korea is able to hit anywhere in the world with its ICBM. Communist China is rising. There's a rise in mental disorders. ISIS is spreading in Europe, Asia, and the US. There are natural disasters, floods, and uh, volcanoes, and hurricanes, and fires. But God offers us a peace that is different than the imperfect peace that we come up with. And that is what we will look at in the next section, the personality of peace. God offers a peace because it's not theoretical for him. It's not something that he has to imagine. John chapter 14 and verse 27 says, Peace I leave with you, my peace I give to you, not as the world gives do I give to you. Do not let your heart be troubled, nor let it be fearful. Did you catch the two characteristics of peace or the lack of peace in that verse? Let me read the verse again. Jesus said, Peace I leave with you, my peace I give to you, not as the world gives do I give you. Do not let your heart be troubled, nor let it be fearful. The characteristics of the lack of peace in this verse are anxiety and fear. Anxiety and fear. One of the most well-known verses on peace is that the peace of God passes understanding. But the context of that is what I will look at next in Philippians chapter 4 and verse 6 and 7. It reads, be anxious for nothing. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. It is in the context of anxiety. And I want to make the difference between worry that is like a concern and worry that is like anxiety. Worry that's like a concern we need. 
So if you're taking your kids across the street, you want to hold a hand because you're concerned that they will get hit by a car. That is a good worry. That is a good concern. We lock our doors at night because we're concerned that somebody will come in and kill us and steal our stuff. So we are concerned, and that is a good thing. But what I'm talking about today is worry that's like an anxiety that rules your life, that controls and binds your life. The Bible says, be anxious for nothing. The peace of God which surpasses comprehension will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. When we are anxious, it can be answered rationally sometimes. About eight months ago, we moved to a new house and we, we got in there, we got our stuff there. The first two nights that we slept in a house, in the night we could hear this high-pitched, squealing, creaking sound throughout the whole night. I'd read stories how in abandoned houses there are these people that stay in the attic. So I'm like, wow, is there somebody in the attic? So the, the first day and the second day we heard this creaking sound. We're like, wow, this is, we need to find out. By the third day, we looked outside our window on the backside and the neighbor house had a barn and the door was enclosed. As the wind blew, the door would creak open back and forth, and that was the squealing, creaking sound. Once we were able to rationalize it, the anxiety went away. But there's also another kind of anxiety, which is irrational. You cannot give excuses for it. You cannot bring reason to get rid of that anxiety. What do you do for that? Well, this verse says that the peace of God passes understanding. For an anxiety that is beyond reason, the answer is a peace of God that is beyond understanding. When we have the peace of God, it takes care of the anxiety that is beyond reason. It says it guards your hearts and minds. The peace of God guards your hearts and minds. Not only does it get rid of anxiety, it also guards your heart and your mind so that the anxiety does not come back anymore. The second characteristic of the lack of peace is fear. I want to differentiate healthy fear from unhealthy fear. Healthy fear, for example, the fear of drowning, would prevent us from jumping into water unnecessarily if we didn't know how to swim. It's that healthy fear. But there is an unhealthy fear on the other side that can control your life and bind your life down. Fear of the unknown, fear of the known, fear of the past, fear of the present, fear of the future, rational fear, irrational fear. In fact, when Adam and Eve sinned and they fell in the Garden of Eden, Adam hid from God and he said what? He was afraid. Adam was afraid. In 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 7, it says, For God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power and love and discipline. 365 times in the Bible it says, do not fear. That's one for every single day of the year. Can you imagine your life without worry or fear? No worry or fear. One of the things that I do in my office is put people to sleep. So they come to my office, they are super anxious. I've got to do a procedure on them. I start an IV in their arm or their hand. 
And once I start an IV, I give them a drug. I give them midazolam, which is an anti-anxiety drug. I give that, and then I give fentanyl, which is a very potent narcotic. Then I give them ketamine, which is what is called as a dissociative anesthetic, which means that it basically separates your brain into two parts where the core of your brain gets disconnected from your immediate surroundings. And so I give these medicines and I wait for the medicines to work. It takes about three to five minutes. And after it has started working, I get ready to give my fourth medicine, which puts the patient to sleep. And that drug is propofol. Just before I give propofol is the funnest part for me of the whole procedure where I get to watch the patient who came in super anxious and super worried and super scared of anything that I was about to do. And here is this patient completely calm in this other world of absolute peace. It doesn't last for too long because I give the drug and they go to sleep. I think that that is the kind of a life that God intended for us. Not a drugged up life, but a life that is free of anxiety and fear. Where nothing in our circumstances bother us anymore. In the 2013 movie Frozen, in the song performed by Idina Menzel, she sings, My power flurries through the air into the ground. My soul is spiraling in frozen fractals all around. And one thought crystallizes like an icy blast. I'm never going back. The past is in the past. Let it go. Let it go. And I'll rise like the break of dawn. Let it go. Let it go. That perfect girl is gone. Here I stand in the light of day. Let the storm rage on. How can we let it go? How can we let those thoughts, those anxieties, and those fears go? This brings us to the fourth part of this sermon, the pathway to peace. How is it that we can get that personal peace? I've got three steps to this. The first point that I want to make in the pathway to peace is that spiritual peace is the first step. Spiritual peace is the first step. You have got to get spiritual peace in order to get personal peace. If you don't have spiritual peace, you will not get personal peace. Because at that point, anything you do to get personal peace is your own doing. It starts from humanism. It starts by human efforts. And therefore, it will never be long-lasting. And it is not perfect. The first step is always having spiritual peace with God. Colossians 1, 19 and 20 says, For God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. We get peace with God because of the blood of Jesus Christ shed on the cross. John chapter 16 and verse 33 reads, These things I have spoken to you so that in me you may have peace. Outside of Christ there is no peace. It is by being in Christ that we have peace. Spiritual peace is always first. Spiritual peace is always first. 
Irish music band U2 in their song Peace on Earth from the 2000 album All That You Can't Leave Behind writes these words, Jesus, can you take the time to throw a drowning man a line, peace on earth? To tell the ones who hear no sound, whose sons are living in the ground, peace on earth. Hear it every Christmas time, but hope in history won't rhyme, so what's it worth, peace on earth? Jesus has already taken the time to throw the drowning man a line 2,000 years ago when he died on the cross to establish peace so that we can establish peace with God. Personal peace is available only to those who have spiritual peace. That does not mean that everybody who has spiritual peace has personal peace. Let me say that again. Personal peace is available only to those who have spiritual peace. But all those who have spiritual peace don't have personal peace. Many Christians live in this state where they have spiritual peace with God. They're going to go to heaven, but they don't have personal peace. For whatever reason, they don't have personal peace. The first point is that you need spiritual peace. The second point is that you need perspective of the eternal. Perspective of the eternal. The big picture is that spiritual peace with God guarantees eternal peace and comfort and satisfaction for eternity. And that is the big picture. Knowing this should give us personal peace. 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verses 16 and 17 reads, Therefore we do not lose heart, though outwardly we are wasting away, yet inwardly we are being renewed day by day. For our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. What is he saying? He's saying that we have an eternal glory. These light and immediate troubles, they don't even compare to the eternal glory. Let me ask you a question. Today is Sunday, so let's say you have a favorite soccer team. Okay? My favorite soccer team is Barcelona. Let's say that you have a favorite soccer team. I've got one Barcelona supporter. Let's say that your favorite football team, American football team, let's say that both teams lose today. Okay? One team lost first, and then, you know, the other team, they lost. So, So both your favorite teams lost. Well, you kind of feel a little down. Let me give you another scenario. Let's say that somehow you want a hundred million dollars, enough to pay off your house and your student loans and any other loan you accumulated, and you have free permission to travel lifetime anywhere in the world, okay? All happened on this one Sunday. And on the same day that happened, your favorite sports team lost. How concerned are you that your favorite sports team lost? No, you don't care. Because the glory that you got far outweighs the silly sports team that we support. The eternal picture is the big picture. God has given us eternal peace. So the small loss of peace should not matter. 
Matthew chapter 10 verse 28 reads, Do not fear those who kill the body but are unable to kill the soul, but rather fear him who is able to kill both body and soul in hell. You see, the eternal perspective helps us to ask, so what, to any circumstance. Because none of these circumstances matter in the big picture. Let me read a line from Max Lucado's book, In the Grip of Grace. He asks, what if God's only gift to you were his grace to save you? Would you be content? You beg him to save the life of your child. You plead with him to keep your business afloat. You, you implore him to remove the cancer from your body. What if his answer is, my grace is enough? Would you be content? You see, from heaven's perspective, grace is enough. If God did nothing more than save us from hell, could anyone complain? Having been given eternal life, dare we grumble at an aching body? Having been given heavenly riches, dare we bemoan earthly poverty? The eternal perspective is what can also give us a personal peace because nothing else matters here. The third point that I want to make on the pathway to peace is that we need to trust God. And we'll come back to that verse in Isaiah chapter 26 and verse 3. You keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on you because he trusts in you. He trusts in you. I want to give us three sentences to help us to trust God more. Three sentences. First sentence, God is sovereign and all-powerful. God is sovereign and all-powerful. The sun is 93 million miles away. If you went on Apollo 10, traveling at 25,000 miles per hour, 25,000 miles per hour, you would reach the sun in 156 days. If you went at the speed of light, you would reach the sun in eight minutes. That's how fast the speed of light is. The galaxy that's furthest from us is the GNZ 11. To reach this galaxy, if you travel at the speed of light, you will reach the sun in eight minutes, but if you traveled at the speed of light, you would reach this galaxy in 32 billion years. That's how big our God is. He is beyond that. We don't even know what lies beyond GNZ 11. Let me read two verses. Psalm 115 verse 3. But a God is in the heavens. He does whatever he pleases. Job 42 verse 2. I know that you can do all things and that no purpose of yours can be thwarted. God can do whatever he wants. He is so big that we cannot even fathom it in our pea-sized brains. He can do whatever he wants. The second statement that I want to make so that we can trust him more is that God is love. 
The message of Christmas is summarized in the summary verse of the Bible, John 3.16, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. How much did God love the world? God so loved the world. If God were only a great and powerful God, he could be a ruthless dictator. But he's not. He's a great and powerful God, and he is also love. The third statement that I want to make is that God is for us. Romans chapter 8 verse 31 says, If God is for us, who is against us? And that word if, in that verse, if God is for us, it is in Greek called condition of the first class, which is more appropriately translated, since God is for us, who can be against us? Since God is for us, who can be against us? About 20 years ago, I was still in India. The, the primary mode of transportation in cities is by motorbikes. So we all went on motorbikes. All my friends, all of us had motorbikes. We went everywhere on motorbikes. The difference in traffic rules between the US and India is that there are no traffic rules in India. <laughs> so there are no stop signs. The major roads have lights. Uh, which are more suggestions than actual lights. But on the smaller roads, there is no light and no stop sign. So you come on your bike hurtling down the road, and you come to a four- or a ten-way stop area, and you kind of slow down, and then you pick up and take off again. So about 20 years ago, I was riding my motorbike, and I came to such an intersection, and I didn't see another guy come from this side, from my right side, and we hit. He had a moped, and I broke something in the moped. You should also know that there are no cops that are going to run behind you if you hit somebody or if you hit a moped. So I had the option to take my motorbike and take off. I was just about to do that when I looked on my right side and I saw five thuggish-looking guys looking back at me. So I thought, you know what? I'm not going to take this risk. So I settled with this guy whose moped I hit for about 300, 400 rupees at that time. Something broke. We negotiated. I paid him the money. He took his moped and he left. I came to my motorbike, got on my motorbike. As I was getting on my motorbike, one of the thuggish-looking guys said, you shouldn't have paid him anything. It is in that Second, that I realized that those five people were for me, not against me. You see, it's a big deal if the Lord of the universe, the God who is love, is for you instead of against you. That is why we can trust God. You keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on you. We need to keep our minds on the fact that God is sovereign and all-powerful. God is a loving God, and God is for us. Keep our minds on him. I've come to a point in my life after about 10,000 failures where I don't trust myself anymore. That has happened over years and years of God's discipline upon my life, where now I am at this point in my life that I have no worries or fears. 
But that did not happen by accident. God took me through failure after failure where I kept depending on myself and God had to break down everything that I was depending on other than himself. Finally to the point where now I trust God completely. About two days ago, so this is after the sermon was done, I had given the PowerPoint, and about two days ago, my daughter, she's eight or nine, I'm not sure, let's say eight years old. So she's eight years old, and she complained of a headache on the right side of her head, on the left side of her head. And I went through all the lists of, okay, is it, uh, so then I asked her questions, so we were driving, asked her questions to rule out migraine, yes, migraine ruled out. Is it cluster headache? No, that's ruled out. Is it tension headache? No, that's ruled out. Is it temporal arthritis? No, that's ruled out. So then I, I go down the list of common headaches and I keep asking her these questions and it's none of that. So I told her, well, come after school to my office on uh, Friday night and we'll take a CT scan to see if there's something causing a headache. And I was prepared to look at the CT scan. And so then I thought to myself, what if? What if there is a tumor? Would I be worried or fearful? I thought to myself, no, neither. Because God is in control. Whether you like it or not, God has the best plan for your life. It is a slow process. And God wants to teach you to depend on him. God wants to teach you to trust in him. It's not something we manufacture. Okay, I'm going to trust God more. No, we just let God do his work and over breaking and breaking and breaking and breaking and failure and breaking, he will bring us to the point where we trust him completely. And when we trust him completely, you will find that you have the peace of God and that fears and worries are no longer there. Let me give a summary couple sentences personal peace follows spiritual peace with God it is characterized by lack of anxiety and fear it is irrespective of circumstances and comes out of an increasing trust and dependence on a powerful and loving God that is for us the peace in us is irrespective of the circumstances around us. And that is exemplified 2,000 years ago when Jesus exemplified that serenity when he hung on the cross and said, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. I'm going to give the opportunity for two groups of people to respond to the sermon. If there's anybody here who's never come into spiritual peace with God, I want you to pray with me. If there's anybody here who struggles with anxiety or fear, I'm going to ask you to stand up. If you know somebody who struggles with anxiety or fear, I'm going to ask you to stand up. And we'll pray for you. there's anybody here who's never invited Jesus into your life, you can pray this prayer after me. This prayer itself is not a magic prayer, but if it's a prayer that comes from the bottom of your heart, 
God will answer, that he will fulfill his end of the promise. You can pray something like this, Dear Lord Jesus, I need peace. I am not on good terms with God. Thank you for the sacrifice that you made 2,000 years ago to establish peace with God. Please come into my heart and make me complete. Give me the spiritual peace that I need. Thank you for the promise of eternal life. Thank you for the promise of eternal comfort and eternal peace. In Jesus' name. Heavenly Father, I pray for any one of us that struggles with anxiety and fear. You've told us not to fear so that we wouldn't live in fear, Lord God. You don't want us to live in fear. You do not want us to live in that anxiety that binds us down. I pray that in Jesus' name that you would set us free. Set us free of our bondage, Lord God. We have established because of your grace, spiritual peace with you, but we struggle with personal peace. Help us to trust you more. Help us to trust you completely. Help us to trust you because you are all powerful and you are all loving and you are for us. I pray that you would release every single person who is standing here either on their behalf or on somebody else's behalf. I pray that in Jesus' name, you would release their anxiety and their fear and they would completely depend on you and experience the perfect peace of God that passes understanding. Thank you for your freedom, Lord God. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.